Welcome in. It's the Mostly Magic Podcast. Monday, April 3rd. Jake Chapman here with you. The Magic coming off a win last night over the Detroit Pistons at Amway Center and headed into the final week of the season. Still alive with a chance at the play-in tournament in the Eastern Conference. Orlando 34 and 44, four games behind Chicago. The magic number, the tragic number, whatever, is one. Any combination of one Bulls win or one magic loss will uh, end the Magic's postseason chances. But final week of the season, stranger things have happened in Orlando with four games remaining. We'll see the Cavaliers twice coming up next two games here at Amway Center. My guests for the podcast today... It's a no-prep pod. Dan Savage, Josh Cohen from OrlandoMagic.com. They do a phenomenal job, have done all season long, and they join me now. And I'm not going to lie, I did a little bit of prep because I want to kind of get into a little like yearbook vibe, end of the end of the school year, end of the season, season superlatives. Um, so we'll get into that in a little bit. But guys, I appreciate you joining me as always. Um, Dan, I want to start with you. Let's just do a little vibe check. Coming down the stretch here, it's been a lot. You guys have covered this team for a long time, and there have been a whole lot of beginnings of April that have been not exciting at all, and the games don't mean anything. So it's this is fun, man. I mean, it's a remote chance that the season extends beyond Sunday, but um, playing meaningful basketball coming down the stretch is uh, it's awesome. How how you feeling right now, Danny? Well, I'm feeling uh, invigorated. I'll, I'll say that, you know, Good it's work. exciting to to be towards the end of the season and to see the progress the team has made. If you would have told me when the team was five and 20 uh, all the way back towards the start of the season that we'd be playing meaningful basketball in April, I would have absolutely taken it. And, you know, the one thing that's been amazing is the team got healthy. They've stayed healthy. And we've seen development from a number of the young players. So it's an exciting time. I think it would have any member of the fan base excited. And, you know, you look at the fact that right now the team is 20 and 19 at home. Mm. Uh, If you're a Magic faithful that's come out to games at Amway Center all season, you've seen more wins than losses. And and that's a nice touch uh, point for Jamal Mosley and his staff this point late in the season. Josh, what do you think about the fact that we've been able to get to still sort of get looks at different combinations of guys? You're seeing more three guard lineups. We're seeing Goga and Mo on the floor together. There's Coach Mosley and the coaching staff are still figuring out a way to gain that information, gain that data moving into the offseason. But but without compromising anything on the floor, I think it's it's a juggling act that they've done a really good job at um, coming down the stretch here. You want to get a look at Gogo Bataze, but you certainly don't want to uh, to impact games on a night-to-night basis. Yeah, I think especially with the young teams, it's critical to experiment with different lineup combinations because let's be real, like going forward, it's not like this entire group is going to be together for the next 10 years. They're going to have right. to pick and choose who they're going to commit to for the long haul. And I think seeing who blends with who best will help determine who the front office wants to commit to for the long haul. And so far, most of these combinations, if not all of them, have been effective in one way or another on either side of the floor, which is very impressive and unusual. Because usually you can spot the deficiencies in certain lineup combinations uh, when you spot them. But in this case which is a big reason why we've had multiple games of eight guys scoring in double figures this season, which of course is the franchise high. It's because they're blending so well together. Credit to Jamal Mosley and the coaching staff for figuring out who blends with who best and how to sort of juggle these different lineups without sacrificing 
the effectiveness and the efficiency on offense. So that's been super impressive and quite honestly, a little bit surprising because I kind of figured that once they started splitting up the lineup combinations, there could be a little bit of a setback just because less camaraderie, less familiarity that usually results in less efficiency, but that actually hasn't been the case at all. Uh, so a definitely unusual circumstance, but working in the magic's favor. You got to tiptoe under those waters, right? I mean, you can't you can't go hockey line changes. You can do that if you don't care about winning games. And we've seen that, right? If it's all about development, you just throw stuff against the wall and it's all about experimenting. But, um, you know, we'll work and go in, but then not necessarily, okay, that's the final decision for the rest of the year when he starts to struggle. You, you know, they were elastic enough to to cut Bowles minutes when he was struggling on the defensive end. I think they've, they've made a lot of really good decisions personnel-wise that that allow them to um to head into the offseason with some ideas. Goga Batazzi is a perfect example. Dan, somehow the Magic are a really good team at defending the paint and not a great team at defending the rim. And Goga Batazzi gives you an element of shot blocking that you don't necessarily have elsewhere. I think you know Goga's a perfect example. Like there's a decision to be made if that guy's going to be your backup center long term. And I know we'll talk about all this stuff moving forward. The bottom line is Goga is Goga's kind of staking his claim right now. And I think that rim protection is something that this team um, could really use. No, shout out to Jeff Weltman and his staff for for that find, because I'll be quite honest, you know, when they made that pickup, I was just like, eh. That'd be a nice guy to look at at the end of the season and maybe bring into camp. You're next so negative. Year. You're, you're you're such a cynic after all these years. Dan. And we'll see how it goes. And then after his first practice that I sat in on, I was like, whoa, OK, this guy could actually play. And then as we've seen on the court, not only, you know, is he making an impact, but he's making an impact in the in an area where the team was slightly deficient, which was, you know, defending the rim. And I think the one thing that's really impressed me is the two big lineup with Goga and Mo Wagner, your boy, shout out to, to Jake Chapman, who who's the biggest uh, Mo Wagner proponent known to man. Uh, you know, the two of them just complement each other well with the inside out. Mo has the ability to space, bring a high amount of energy. Goga with the ability to defend the rim, uh, you know, the group can rebound well together. So it, it's been a nice compliment. As Josh said, there's, there hasn't been many deficiencies with the various lineups they've rolled out involving those two guys. Uh, so, you know, I like what I see at Agoga, and he's really impressed me since his arrival. Real quick, uh, the the shot clock issue last night, the first half of that game last night, that was so – I have – how do we get to game 78 and home game, what, 39 or whatever, and then the shot clock starts crapping out? I was, you know, what do you do? You do the power cycle. But then if you want IT to get involved, you got to put a ticket in. And that's just going to take forever. And that takes forever. I'm still feeling uh, tired from that second quarter. That was the longest second quarter ever. It felt like a half. And uh, as I believe, it was either Cole Anthony or it may have been Jalen Suggs, I think, pointed out after the game, we started – an hour early and still ended about the same time. Yes, yes, uh, you did. That, that was not lost on anybody who's a broadcaster and, and looks down and says, "Oh, I'm I'm hungry at this point. I'm not I'm not supposed to be hungry yet." You had, you had um, time for all your promos, though. Oh my goodness, I got yes, I got all the marketing reads in. Absolutely, I think all the sponsors will be very happy. And we got a whole bunch of factoids. And I was talking about Eugene Amarui for about five minutes, I think. Um, all right, let's get into some year-end awards because the year is not over just yet. But um, I don't know if we'll be able to wrap up uh, with the two of you guys. And you guys have done such a great job all season long. And obviously, 
Um, this is kind of, you know, sort of the brain trust a little bit. So I need you guys' opinion on some of these. Um, Brandon Kravitz on the broadcast last night did a um, a poll question, a Twitter poll question. And I, I don't think you guys will be surprised by the answer, but I do think it, it raises an interesting conversation. And Josh, I'll start with you. Who is the team? It's a very simple question, but I, I think it, I think there's a lot to to dive into. Who's the most valuable player for the Magic this season, Josh? Mm, great question. There's two guys that come to mind out of the gate. Paolo Bancaro has to be in the conversation. Yeah. But then Markel Fultz, I think, is a close runner-up. You can make an argument for Franz Wagner, but I'd say Paolo won and Markel two. Yeah. I mean, the team has won already. 12 more games than last year. They didn't have Paolo last year, right? So just right from that perspective, the impact he's made is clear. I think he has created a seismic effect from the standpoint that he can do a little bit of everything regardless of what he's doing best at in a particular game. So he's making an impact, whether it be through his shot creation off the dribble his initiating contact going to the basket, his pull-up mid-range shooting, and his playmaking has improved as the season has gone on. I think it's only a matter of time before a triple-double happens. You just could feel it coming. I don't know if it's going to happen in these last few games, but I have a feeling by the start of next season, we're going to start hearing his name in the triple-double count pretty frequently. Yeah, And then even defensively, he's been far better than advertised. Uh, I think his one-on-one defense has been superb most of the year. You know, he's never going to be a great shot blocker, but he's such a big body. He moves his feet pretty well. And obviously they've talked so much about his versatility. And I think it really holds true on the defensive end where he's switching really well. He seems like he's really headsy. Uh, he's got a really high basketball IQ. So from that perspective, I think he's hold, he's held his ground pretty well on that end. But yeah, I mean, the go-to guy on our team is Paolo. That's who the other team focuses on when they're coming up with their scouting reports and everything has to be centered on him. So my answer is Paolo. And it's mainly because you can kind of tell that when the opposing team is coming up with their game plans, they're trying to shut him down and having a hard time doing it. And Paolo has made great reads, especially the last couple months, where when he's double teamed, when he can't find any room to operate, he's uh, he's locating someone on the floor who's got a clear view of the of the basket. So I think from that perspective, I'll go Paolo. Yeah, I think if you if, if you ask Markel, as one of you did recently, I think he would say Paolo, right? <laughs> like, I think that's probably proof positive. But then, like, you know, you could go with Franz because of the consistency. You could make an argument for Wendell Carter Jr. because we see what the team looks like when he's not available. Um, but I think the answer has to be Paolo, and probably 1B is Markel because Markel is sort of, um, you know, the engine that makes everything go. It's just, I mean – for the same reasons that we've argued for Paulo for rookie of the year, the top of the scouting report thing is huge, right? Like, I mean, he is, he is the, the, the fundamental basis of our team right now. And then everybody is kind of, is kind of filling in around him and they, and that's not to diminish their roles, but that's just, that's just how good the guy is. No, no question. And when you, you know, as we all do, you sit down there before the games, you try to talk to as many people from other teams as possible, other scouts in attendance, and those conversations always start with Paolo. Those people want to know about Paolo. They either want to tell you what they've, you know, seen at Paolo. They, you know, he's he's the guy unquestionably that everybody starts the conversation with 
when they're talking Orlando Magic. Now, if you want to make the case for faults, I think it's win losses since he's arrived. You know, there's no question this team is closer to a 500 team with him in the lineup than with him without. And that's probably the biggest case you can make for faults. He runs the offense. He gets everybody organized. He's such an energy boost. He's the guy out there pointing, you know, directing players. Um, probably a big part of, you know, Paolo's continued ascension through, you know, even a tough February. Yep. Uh, you, could look, you could look at, you know, how Markel helped steer all these guys through it. And, uh, you know, especially Paolo. Um, however, you know, with the awards changing, perhaps, as some rumors that suggested, we might as well get in the case now of minimum number of games in order to qualify for awards. So in junction with that, you have to go Paolo. But, you know, also just want to give Franz Boogie some uh, some love, too, because I think when you look at what's truly the identity of this team uh, and you look at the fact that this team is under 500, when you look at under 500 teams historically, and we've seen it here with the Magic through tough seasons, there are a number of games you could point to throughout the season where a team got blown out or a team quit in a particular game. There may be, you could count on one hand the number of games this season where that's happened. And I would say a big reason for that is Franz Wagner and his competitive spirit. Not only is he good in a number of areas, but that guy doesn't quit. You know, <laughs> how many times have we seen Franz sprain his ankle and you're like, oh, that could be a week, two weeks. And the guy's back within, you know, the next five minutes. And, you know, his competitive Fire and juice, I think, is a big fuel for this team. And I think it's a huge reason why everybody in Orlando is excited that he's a member of the franchise. You know, just going back, the yeah, another thing about the first, the 5-20 and 20 start is Paula missed, what, seven of those games, I think it was? So, I mean, part of that was, and it was the first 25 games of the guy's career, for crying out loud. Um, so, yeah, I think uh, I, I, I think we all understand how important Markel is. He's the leader of this team, but but this team isn't this team without Paolo Bencaro. Um, and, yes, shout out Franz. And, and I think, you know, the beautiful thing about the past few months is that everybody's embraced their role. And so the next one is going to be, and Dan, I'm going to go to you with this one, and we'll, we'll give Josh an opportunity to formulate his answer while you think on the fly. Biggest surprise of the season. It can be surprise player. It can be surprise um, characteristic of the team that you didn't really expect, but you can't just cop out and say, I didn't expect them to win 30-something games. <laughs> no, you'd never get a cop out from either Josh <laughs> or I, as we we love to do any hot take or you know, have some fun with something. If you if you want if you want to do hot takery, this is the place to do it. I'll just say that. Yeah, exactly. I'll tell you, you know, flat out, you know, there are a number of ways you could go uh, with this. But I think for me, it has to be the level of ascension for Markel Fultz as quickly as he's done it and as steady as he's done it. I thought Markel could get back to this point, um, but I didn't know if it would necessarily be this season. You look at you know, the number of games he's missed over the start of his career and it's it's daunting. You know, you figure it would take a couple of years of work, a steady flow, but it just seems in five game increment by five game increment, uh, he is taking strides. We're seeing his bounce come back uh, at a level at which, you know, it was nearly in, at his time at the University of Washington when he came out and was the number one overall pick back in 2017. Uh, but this guy, I look at just 
you know, the other night against the Detroit Pistons, back-to-back blocks where he's chasing down the opposition, stopping two-on-ones, coming out with windmill slams, step-back threes. I, I mean, threes off the bounce, rather. Uh, he He's doing it all, and he's doing it at a high level. And I think he's at the point now where you're like, okay, I really don't know where his ceiling's at, where right. he can progress to. And to me, the fact that we're having that kind of conversation around him uh, at this point is, is surprising. I thought maybe it would take another offseason of work before he hit this level, and he's already there. So I think that's an exciting thing for this team, this franchise, is what they've got cooking with Markel Fultz right now. A, a lot of times guards improve into their 20s. You know, you think about guys like Lowry or going back to Chauncey or Mike Conley. I mean, you can just keep on improving into your late 20s as a guard. Sometimes it takes that long if the ball's in your hands. What do you think, Josh? I'm going to go with more of a team thing, and that is their fourth quarter play all mm. year. You know, especially for a young team again, you wouldn't expect – them to be so productive down the stretch of games but we've seen it time and time again no matter how big the deficit may have been they seem to always climb out of it they don't always win the game but they're definitely in the mix in those late stages of those close games of course they came back from 16 down recently against washington they had that nice comeback against the clippers late in la they nearly pulled off a miracle comeback in memphis uh just recently as well and they're fourth in offense in the fourth quarter this year. They're fifth in points in the fourth quarter. They find a way to force turnovers. They get to the free throw line a ton yes. in those final 12 minutes, which is critical, especially because you want to slow the game down, save some time. And I feel like that shows a lot of poise and resilience because so many times this year, they could have just let their guard down. They could have just already mentally checked out, but they found a way to stay composed and persevere during those tough stretches. And that kind of stands out to me the most because going into the year, if you told me that this is a team that has, you know, one of the third or fourth youngest rosters, if they fall behind by double digits at any point, I'd be like game over. They're probably not going to climb out of it, but they've proven me wrong from that perspective. Like when they fall behind by 10, 15, 20, I'm like, this game is far from over because we've seen it over and over and over again, that they're going to at least make it a game, probably have a good chance to win in those final couple minutes. And they have won some games down the stretch. So that's probably the biggest thing that stood out to me as opposed to necessarily an individual player's rise because there's yeah. several of them that deserve that kind of praise. But from a team perspective, uh, that has been very impressive. It's It's something that I've been marveling at all year. Even when they were losing games early in the year, they continuously – climbed out of holes and gave themselves chances. And even though they didn't win a lot of those games, finally they started to figure out what they needed to do to come up clutch. See, I think so in December. I think so much of that is when you've got guys like Paulo Franz and Markel who can get whatever they want, basically. Now you're I mean, it's, it's so much is predicated on those free throws in the fourth quarter. It bodes so well for when you do finally make it to the postseason. Um, but I think a lot of people assume that that a team like ours would we can all sort of agree that probably the biggest offensive deficiency is perimeter shooting. You know, I think everybody thinks the best way to come back from 20 points down is to hit seven threes. But the best way to come back from 20 points down is to get the free throw line and score with the clock stop generally. Right. And that's something that we're able to do. 
Um, and you're right. For whatever reason, and this is it goes to coaching and this goes to just execution on the floor, turning teams over in the fourth quarter is not – you can't just flick that switch generally, but uh, we've been really good on both ends in crunch time. And, yeah, for a young team – that is um, that's very promising moving into the future. All right. So this is I guess this is kind of a similar question, Josh, and I'm going to put you on the spot. Who improved the most over the season? Another great question. <laughs> Another really great question, because I feel like several guys can be mentioned in this conversation. Markel would be the obvious answer just because so many people counted him out. We've already, I mean, Dan already touched on all the details with Markel. So I kind of want to go in a different direction because I feel like I'll be repeating exactly what he discussed. <laughs> I think you can make an argument for Wendell Carter in this conversation as well. I've always felt like Wendell is a jack of all trades, but not a master at any one thing, but mm. he does inch by inch get better in each category. Like we've seen improved three-point shooting with him. He now has a little bit of like that mid-range game where he can just kind of pull up right off the bounce or he could operate in the post a little bit, but he's kind of just a mixed bag of, he's got so much variety in his game that right. it's very hard to contain from that perspective. And he guards the perimeter just as well as most bigs in this league. I'd say maybe Evan Mobley, Bam Adebayo and Nick Claxon are the only three. You can make an argument for like an Al Horford still, if you want to count him, maybe, maybe Robert Williams at times, but like, Wendell Carter's right up there as far as a big that moves his feet really well on the perimeter, can stay in front of speedsters uh, out on the perimeter. So that's another thing that he has in his corner. So he pops to mind. You know, also, I, I think I think Mo Wagner deserves a little bit of a mention here as well. And I know, I guess you, you're in love with him. I, I think, man, all the hustle plays, like, I, I mean, I always kind of knew he was like the hard worker, kind of blue collar player in many ways, but like, there's been so many instances where he sacrifices his body just kind of out of nowhere. I mean, he has become one of the best at drawing charges. Uh, loose balls recover. He ranks high in. He comes up with deflections. He's just always in the right place at the right time. He does a little bit of everything outside the box score, and I feel like <clears throat> I feel like that's made a huge impact on this team. And, of course, he's one of the most vocal guys on the team. He's He's all about spirit, tenacity. And I feel like that makes a big impact as well. So he pops to mind as well. So I'll, I'll, I'll say Wendell and Mo Wagner are my two answers here. I mean, of course, I was going to say Markel too, but just to repeat exactly what, what Dan touched on, I'll go in a different direction. But maybe all three of those guys. There's it's it's yeah it's in in the yearbook you can't have the same guy win most improved or uh, win uh, best looking and uh, and most talented and most likely to be successful. Um, Dan, what do you think? You know, I just hit Command C on my answer from uh, before with Markel, and hit Command V. You know, pasted the answer and copied <laughs> copied it over. Uh, you know, repeat to save on time, especially going in line with our no prep pod. What I'll about just... Cole Anthony? Can we yeah, no, shout that's, out to that's Cole? Exactly, thought about him too. That's yeah. where I was gonna yeah. exactly where I was gonna go. I was gonna say, in addition to that, you look at Cole and the month of March he had, you know, Josh had it in one of his stories, uh, his fourth quarter scoring along with that trend ha has been great. Uh, you look at the fact that he became a 42% three point shooter in, in the month of March. Uh, I think for him, you know, it's, it's really easy to say to somebody, Oh, come off the bench and, you know, you'll be playing against second unit guys and you'll have the opportunity to elevate your stats. But for a guy that's always had the ball in his hands and, you know, played a significant role, came with the start of the game and getting into that rhythm, it's a huge adjustment 
to come off the bench. It's probably something he hasn't done, uh, you know, a very long time throughout the the point of his basketball career when you're always the guy. But I think he's improved both as, you know, the, the point guard coming off the bench and leading the team. And then as a secondary playmaker alongside Markel and a number of those fourth quarter lineups that Jamal Mosley has rolled out as his team's closed out games. So I, I just think from a mental standpoint, he's really improved as the season's gone along. And then we've seen it catch up statistically as well. So, you know, shout out to Cole Anthony, uh, as he would say, improvement facts. Facts. It's with him, it's I almost feel like it's about eliminating some not mistakes, but like some of the, you know, I, I'd rather Cole go four of six or four of seven than, you know, every night than a 10 of 11 and then a few three of 12s and the turnover. Like, it's just kind of about limiting the floor with Cole, I think, Josh. And I think he's done a really good job of fitting in. And with Cole, we talk a lot about, you know, buying into to coming off the bench, but everybody needs to do that, right? Like when you, when you draft Paolo Bancaro and you realize how good he is, it recalibrates everybody's role on the team. And so Jalen all of a sudden is like, okay, I'm going to come off the bench and I need to, to, you know, get in where I fit in. And, and for somebody, and it's easier said than done for guys to buy into a role. And I think Cole, you know, I'm sure it's, there's some kicking and screaming going on. Um, but I think he's done a much better job of, of not breaking off possessions and jacking up a heat check shot. Um, and, and of, and of making the right play coming off at times working the offense. And that can be really difficult for a guy that talented, but, um, I think the result, you know, the proof is in the pudding. Yeah. With Cole, it's all about shooting touch and efficiency. His first two years, he was an inefficient score and uh, high volume. And while he had some great nights, I think early last season, the first month of the year, he was in the most improved player conversation. He had right. a few you know, 30 plus point games, but then it kind of tailed off. He had gotten hurt. And I think that affected him as well. But he's very crafty. We are, we've always known that since his days at North Carolina, you know, you can see that he's a go getter. He's got a lot in his scoring package and he can find his spots under any circumstances. Like very few defenders can figure out a way to keep him off his spots question is how many of those shots that he takes are going to go in right i mean that's been the question with him probably his entire career and lately he has been in a great rhythm he's really heated up and we know he's capable of it because he's done it previously with the magic his first two years in in spots in stretches and now it's being it's a little bit more consistent and uh yeah the fourth quarter play for him has been tremendous he's been a huge part of the magic scoring attack down the stretch as dan alluded to and you know, he's got an amazing ability to stay square to the basket, stay balanced. And uh, he never seems to lose confidence. Like even games where he's not feeling it, he's not afraid to let it fly if he finds his spots. And I feel like that's key for a guy coming off the bench who is expected to be that spark plug in the second unit. You know, his main function is to score. Like that's yeah. what Cole does. So even though, you know, he could do other things, he's not one-dimensional. But he has one element to his game that he's more exceptional at than all the other areas in his game. He's never going to be Gary Payton, but he, I think he's improved on that end. And then I also think, look, rebounding is a defensive stat, and especially in this league with all the threes. If you don't clean up possessions and you're allowing offensive rebounds and second chances, 
um, you're, you're going to get smoked. And so I think it, he does help. I mean, he deserves credit um, because the rebounding numbers when he's in the game are absolutely through the roof. Um, all right, before we go, let's take a look around the playoff standings and uh, the races. I just want some picks. Um, who's playing the best basketball right now? Who would you be surprised with an early exit? Um, and then let me just scroll through here and see. Let's talk first round series. Cleveland, New York, that's going to be... That's going to be juicy. Philly will roll. I think the Eastern Conference. The, uh, Dan, let me go to you about the Miami Heat briefly. Are are they going to get out of the first round? Could you see them putting together a deep run? I think they've run out of time to kind of put it together this season. It feels like they've been experimenting all year and haven't really found anything. You know, obviously there's, you know, the reports that they're a little disappointed with what they got out of Kyle Lowry. They're right. expecting a, a bigger, bigger role out of him and, you know, what he'd be able to do. And, you know, now they find themselves in, in the playing area <laughs> and you look at some of the teams that you might have to go against, you know, whether it's Toronto or, or Chicago and you're like, okay, well, uh, you know, you never know what could happen in, in those type of matchups. Uh, a so, seven-game series, I like Miami, but but one yeah. but, right, but in the play-in, who knows? But they just have the right attitude about them when it comes to gritting out wins in close situations. That I, I think they'll find their way there. It's just a question of of how far can they go with that unit. And you know, I'm not sure I like any of those first round matchups for them. Uh, the, the, the East is very top heavy. Yeah. Those teams are well balanced. Uh, so unlike the West where you look and you're like, you know, Hey, a play playing team could come <laughs> and win a, a, end up winning a first round series. I don't know if that's the the case in the East. Josh Milwaukee's coming out of the East. Yay or nay. Yay. But Man, those top three teams in the East, I think those are the three best teams in the NBA. I think whoever yeah. comes out of the East is winning the championship. But I would side with the Bucs. They seem to be the most balanced team right now. Defensively, they've been brilliant over the last three months especially. You know, interestingly enough, though, I, I they're, the sneaky team in this whole thing is Cleveland to me. I'm not completely ruling them out pulling off an upset in the second round. I expect them to beat New York. I understand New York's had a really nice season and they're a great story. And Jalen Brunson has been unbelievable. Of course, Julius Randle, an all-star once again this year, but Cleveland's scary to me because they do the thing that you need to do best at in the playoffs and they play top-notch defense. Yeah. Mobley and Jared Allen in the middle have been outstanding defensively. They have a tremendous backcourt with Garland and Mitchell and Isaac Okoro has come on with his outside shooting and perimeter defense their bench is suspect. I mean, Chetty Osmond's solid, but I don't know if I really trust him in big spots. But th their starting lineup can be scary. But in the at the end, yes, I, I think the Bucs will come out of the East. But it's tight. I do think Cleveland has an outside chance. Of course, those top three teams in the East all have a chance. And I would expect Milwaukee to. It does make it. And I don't know off the top of my head what the, the season series is. But it, if you if you needed – if you needed to pull a team that you wouldn't expect to be able to hang with Milwaukee, having that size of an Allen and Mobley front court certainly doesn't hurt. And those are two guys I think that you can toss at Giannis and at least hope to slow him down. They might be a year or two away. It feels like like wait until Mobley gets into that All Star level. Agreed. But they're but you're right because the defense has been so damn good going back basically to New Year's for that group. Um, and I do think they they beat New York in round one. It just feels like it's going to be. A I think it'll be close. Yeah. I, I, you know, I expect Cleveland to pull it out. It might take the full seven games, but they'll have the home court advantage. And I feel like that gives them enough of an edge. But 
I just think Mitchell, he's going to be motivated. He's already talked about he wants to play New York. He's from New York. New York didn't do all the things they needed to do to make the trade happen to get him. I feel like he's going to be fueled like never before. And uh, I think that by itself will catapult the Cavs. In that have, but you never know. They have really good vibes, too. Like they, uh, uh, Donovan Mitchell is such a great leader. And then you talk about what we were talking about before about guys accepting their role. Darius Garland has had to completely recalibrate what he does. And he's putting up the exact same numbers on less shots, um, more efficient. He's been fantastic. Assist numbers are down a little bit. But it's got to be hard. I'm sorry. It's got to be hard to play next to Donovan Mitchell at times when you're just watching. He's Man. so good, but he's such a good guy, so it works. Dan, out west. Um, oof. Yeah. I mean, it, it's hard to argue that Phoenix won't figure it out, but they don't have a ton of time to. And yeah. round one, if they draw Los Angeles or Golden State, and then round two against Denver, boy, that's that's a tough first wins you got to pick up. I, I was actually I was prepping for this question. That was the one question I prepped for before we went on this podcast. Because <laughs> I was like, let me just look at this, because Jake usually asks this at the tail end of, of this thing. And – I feel like I'm more confused after looking at it than I was before. Right. Exactly what you said. You look at it, you know, Phoenix has won five straight. Kevin Durant's made a huge impact since his return. Yet you could have to play the LA Clippers in the first round. And does anybody, even just even Ty Lue, know what the LA Clippers are right now? Because I'm not sure they do. They don't know who's showing up each morning. Well, Kawhi Leonard load management in the playoffs. Like, <laughs> if you told me he did, I would not be surprised no. at, the, at the least bit. And so you look at them, and you know, if the Clippers are healthy and everybody's playing, I think they can beat anybody at any given time. Uh, but we haven't seen that yet. So how do you bank on that? If Phoenix stays healthy through the playoffs, I think. They could go to the championship and end up, you know, playing the Bucks once again. Uh, and yet we kind of all discount Denver, who's, you know, put together a tremendous regular season. Jokic looks primed to potentially win his third straight MVP. And, you know, they can play half court offense with with anyone right. uh, in, in the league. Yet for some reason don't feel great about them and him defensively in, in some of those series. So I have no idea. I have no idea. I'm glad <laughs> I don't have to bet on it, but if pressed, I'll go with the star studded talent that the Phoenix suns have to offer and just hope they stay healthy and it clicks. And then I know Josh is going to mention the Memphis Grizzlies. Cause that sounds like something Josh would say. So, History shows that you pretty much have to have a top defensive, top 10 defensive team to win the championship. I believe only the 2000, 2001 Lakers and the 2017, 2018 Warriors did not have top 10 defensive ratings in the last like 25 years to win the title. And those teams were great defensively around that. Like the Lakers in 2000, the, the year they beat the Pacers in the finals, they had like the best defense in the league. They slipped the following year, but they picked up steam in the playoffs. Right. Um, Every other team has been elite defensively throughout the entire season, which is why I mentioned Cleveland in our prior discussion as having a chance. The only three Western Conference teams that are potentially going to be in the playoffs, if not definitely in the playoffs, that have a top 10 defensive rating are Memphis, Phoenix, and New Orleans. Mm. New Orleans is a sleeper team in this whole thing because of Zion Williamson. If he comes back, if he's been talking about New Orleans all since the summer. 
They're this to me, they're the sleeper team because they're playing really well right now without Zion. Brandon Ingram has been a top 10 player in the league since the all-star break. Yeah. And of course, CJ McCollum, Herb Jones is an elite defender. Valanciunas is a handle in the in the middle. New Orleans is a sleeper team. I'm not expecting them to come out of the West, but I'm not ruling them out. I, I would agree with Dan. I think Phoenix is the most likely team because they are one of the teams that has a top 10 defensive rating. I believe they're eighth right now in that category. You know, you have Duran, who's probably the best scorer in the league still. But Memphis has the best defense in the West. And so I will give the Grizzlies a chance to I don't I don't if I had to pick between, let's say, Denver and Memphis, I'm picking Memphis. Yeah, me too. Um, I don't trust Denver. At this point, I don't trust the Clippers. I think they're 15th in defense, which is shocking considering their personnel. Right. So based on that criteria, I think it's going to be one of those three teams, Memphis, Phoenix, or New Orleans. And we have less than a minute. I'm eliminating Golden State then, which is tough to do. Let's see if Wiggins Wiggins comes back. That gives them a little bit more of an advantage, but that's a whole mystery in itself. So. I want to turn this on the on the two you because I'm curious. You know, is your defensive player of the year Jaron Jackson Jr. or or Brooke Lopez or uh, or other? Jaron Jackson is my defensive player of the year, but Sorry. I think Brooke Lopez is a close second. I also think Evan Mobley needs to be in that mix as well. Triple J was mine after the December game or whenever, whenever he came in. <laughs> he locked it up right there. I was like, that's it. The way, Real quick before we go, we got like 30 seconds. The Western Conference play-in is going to be juicy as heck. The Lakers, your pals, I think the Timberwolves are very dangerous as they were cat back in, and they have been they were able to, 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 to uh, tread water all season long and knew that was going to happen. All right, uh, I'm going to pay for Zoom Premium next time. Dan and Josh got cut off, and this has been the Mostly Magic Podcast. Make sure you follow Dan and Josh on Twitter. It's at Dan underscore Savage, and Josh is at Josh underscore Cohen underscore NBA. And then, of course, make sure you read all of their stuff at OrlandoMagic.com all season long. Big thanks to Dan and Josh. This has been another edition of the Mostly Magic Podcast. We'll be back next week. Until then, go Magic.